The Fanboy, episode 131. Hi there, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 131 of the Fanboy Podcast. How is everybody doing out there? Uh, Tonight, I am doing pretty coldly. That doesn't sound right. No, I'm freezing currently in my garage because even though spring has sprung, uh, it is currently, we've got freezing advisories here in Queens where I'm living, and yet here I am in my garage to record episode 131 for you because there is an awful lot to talk about as we continue the postmortem on Zack Snyder's Justice League and how we kind of now factor that in to the present and future of DC on film. There's still plenty to discuss on in that regard, especially because DC Films keeps inundating us with new information and new updates on what's to come for them. And none of it has to do with the Snyderverse for the time being. So we definitely have to discuss that. But before we do, I also want to just hit on something cool that's happened since the last time we spoke, which is that one of my old scoops from two years ago was recently confirmed. Uh, Back in January of 2019, I had published a report with the cast list for the Batman, the long Halloween animated film that was coming. I mean, I I, I was breaking that the story was happened, that the movie was happening at all. And I was breaking the cast. And while the movie itself did eventually get confirmed that they were making a two-part adaptation of The Long Halloween, now another part of that has been confirmed, which is that Jensen Ackles from Supernatural is indeed a member of the cast, and he is playing Batman. And uh, yes, he was on the cast list I published back in January of 2019, which is why it's pretty funny because he took to Twitter after DC officially announced his casting. And he said, oh, I've been sitting on this for a while. And I'm like, yeah, I know you have. I know exactly how long you've been sitting on this because I know when you officially joined the cast for this freaking movie way over two years ago now. But okay, so uh, that got confirmed. That was pretty neat, and uh, it kind of has me excited, little by little, to kind of start dipping my toe back into the whole sort of like scoop and inside information world of things, now that I'm kind of approaching it. From uh, an older, wiser, more mature perspective, I'm looking forward to to getting more interesting information to share with you and sharing it with you in a responsible, respectable, non-clickbaity sort of way, because that is what you deserve. But okay, so now, speaking of things you deserve, you deserve this conversation, because there are things in the Zack Snyder's Justice League conversation that's been raging online for weeks, if not months, if not years. Years, there are things about this entire conversation that I rarely see getting discussed. And that's why I invited you here to episode 131 to discuss them with me. Okay. So last week with Mr. Stephen Colbert here from Screen Rant, we went over a bunch of Anne Sarnoff's remarks that she gave to Variety last week. And we kind of took a sledgehammer to a lot of what she was saying. But I think it, it I think we should circle back to some of that because there was some information that she shared that I think uh, shed some light on where we are today and sort of how we got to this place. And I think it's important because, well, let's get to the quote itself. The one particular thing I want to focus on at this present juncture is she said, we want different voices in the mix. For certain fans that want singular voices, they may be disappointed. Now, let's start right there, okay? Let's focus on that. We want different voices in the mix, and, you know, fans who want a singular voice may be disappointed. So, the reason we need to talk about this is Zack Snyder is undoubtedly a singular voice. And when it came to his DC films, according to him, he had a very specific arc in mind. You know, we've heard about this five film plan, this thing that he wanted to do that began with Man of Steel and ended with like a third Justice League movie. 
And it's basically kind of like the rise, death, and return of Superman in a way. is kind of like the loose main overall arc of what it was that he wanted to tell. And he had that singular vision, and it involved a crap ton of DC characters using them in a grand mythological sort of way. He did like the Lord of the Rings treatment and all that sort of stuff. So this, these are all things we know. But the problem is this. Somewhere along the way, there was a communication breakdown. I don't know if it was on Snyder's end, not properly communicating to the studio that he had this particular five chapter story he wanted to tell, or if the communication breakdown was from the studio going, well, we know that you really just want to do these five movies, but we want to build a huge, expansive 20 to 30 movie franchise out of this stuff that you're building here. Because it's very apparent when you start looking back on things that the two sides were clearly not on the same page. And that led to a lot of the conflict where we're at now. Because a lot, of, a lot is made about this idea that DC needs its own Kevin Feige. It needs its own architect, its own person with a master plan to chart the course and sort of determine what everyone is doing. And what's interesting is a lot of people overlook that Zack Snyder was the Kevin Feige for DC on film for a little while there. Because even though he wasn't necessarily charting what every single other filmmaker and other film would have to be about, he was making bold choices about what each of these main Justice League characters were like. You know, he, he was making choices about their designs, making choices about their origins, making choices about the tone with which they carry themselves, making choices about, you know, their overall trajectory. And he was making those choices on his own. And then other filmmakers were going to have to come in and take that and build outward from that. So in a way, Zack Snyder was really setting the tone for every single thing DC, for everything Superman, everything Batman, everything Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, Flash, and possibly even Green Lantern if he'd gotten to you know bring in all of the different plans that he supposedly had wanted to discuss or wanted to work into his DCEU films, into his singular arc. So he's making all these broad bold choices for everyone. And then all the directors kind of have to play ball to make that work if it is in fact that we're going for this one huge, cohesive, coherent shared universe. And therein became the problem. Because once Batman versus Superman came into theaters and got the critical reception that it did, and kind of became this negative headline machine about the huge drop-off in box office from one from weekend one to weekend two. It suddenly, you know, there was kind of like a crisis mode when BVS came out and kind of laid an egg in the eyes of the general public. And suddenly the directors who had to follow up on the things that are in this movie started to get a little panicked because now it's like, well, listen, I don't necessarily want to make a movie about a hero that was used in this movie people hate. You know, I want to be able to do my thing or at least approach the material from my way. And it wasn't even just filmmakers. You know, I remember finding it very notable. And this is kind of, and this is pertinent because Black Adam, they just announced that Black Adam is going to be coming out on July 29th, 2022. People have been waiting to see what Dwayne Johnson does here in the DC comics space for a long time. Cause he's been flirting with being in a DC movie since like 2014, at least. So, what was interesting, around the time that BVS was on its way out, uh, coming to theaters, I remember interviews with Dwayne Johnson where they'd ask him, like, is your Black Adam connected to this stuff? And he would offer very sort of non-committal responses to what was going on with the connection between his Black Adam plans and whatever Shazam stuff he's got going on and what's going on with the Zack Snyder films. He was sort of evasive and sort of dodgy. And then I noticed that in this aftermath of BVS, when suddenly 
There was this whole huge rebranding. They brought in Jeff Johns. They brought in Diane Nelson. They brought in like a whole new regime to run DC. And suddenly everything you hear is about hope and optimism and fun. You know, this whole facelift that they wanted to put on the franchise after BVS. I remember during that little facelift portion of things in the spring of 2016, that's when Dwayne Johnson posted a picture at the DC headquarters where he's there in the waiting room in front of the big DC logo on the wall behind him. And in that post, he talks about Black Adam and how excited he is to get to work on DC. And he once again hits that tagline. He mentions about hope and fun and optimism. And it's like Johnson suddenly went all in on where DC was going post BVS whereas prior to BVS he was like eh, non-committal about being attached to what was going on you know i feel like he all, he's another one who wanted some separation between what he was creating and what Zack Snyder was creating and we all we also know Seth Graham Smith left The Flash about a month after BVS came out. There was a lot of fallout where creative types were thinking of leaving. And, you know, that, that that's something that I don't talk about very often, which is James Wan almost left shortly after BVS came out. There were rumors at the time, which I later confirmed through my own reporting. You know, this is a scoop that I don't bring up very often. You know, whenever I talk about the the exclusive reports that I've done with regard to this Justice League, I tend to focus on what happened in May of 2017 when I told all of you ahead of THR that they were about to remake Justice League for what essentially be a second time, be a third version of the movie. And this is before I knew that it was Joss Weed, and this is before I knew exactly what the plan was, but I had heard from little uh, from my little birds at the time that Justice League was not going to be the movie you were expecting it to be. And whenever I talk about my scoops from that era, that's the one I focus on a lot. But there was something I published over at the Splash Report a couple weeks, a couple months prior to that, in February of 2017, about what happened with James Wan the year prior. Because you see, James Wan, in the weeks after BVS, approached Warner Brothers and basically threatened to quit unless he was given creative control over Aquaman. And I'm not going to get into his head as to why that was so important to him. But when you watch Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's very clear James Wan did not have much of any sort of intention to make Zack Snyder's Justice League canon for that movie. And I know this flies in the face of things Jason Momoa has said on social media or in other public appearances he's made. But the fact of the matter is, now that we've seen Zack Snyder's Justice League, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Mr. Momoa is wrong. Okay? The, the, the two do not actually link in several key ways. One simple one, an easy one to point out, is the aesthetic Overall, when you look at Zack Snyder's version of Atlantis and the armor and the way Atlanteans dress and carry themselves, you know, in Zack Snyder's Justice League, he handled it very much almost like, you know, Atlantis meets King Arthur. It's all very, you know, it looks like medieval and lots of armor and chain link. And it feels, uh, you know, just like old world Excalibur type of stuff, but just underwater. That's the look he was going for. Yet when you look at, at James Wan's Aquaman designs, it's much more futuristic and almost alien looking. If you look at the, the soldiers that come out with those funky helmets that keep the liquid in and their, 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 their armors, all these weird, smooth neon colors, you know, his, his Atlanteans do not resemble Zack Snyder's Atlanteans and the costume that, that Arthur ends up wearing in Aquaman doesn't really resemble the cos the costume that we were familiar with in justice league. But those are kind of minor in a way. The biggest example of how James Wan clearly had different ideas in mind for Aquaman have to do with the Trident. Because if you think about it, what did a substantial amount of Aquaman's running time go towards? It went towards the hunt for the MacGuffin 
of the mighty trident. And that's why he had to go to Africa with Mira. And we had to listen to Pitbull Butcher Toto. Uh, you know, the whole reason we had to go to Africa and do that whole quest was so that he could get to basically the center of the earth, to that place deep past the trenches to get to that lost world where he'd find his mother and find the trident that's been being held there by that king for hundreds or thousands of years and all that. Remember that there was a lot of time spent building up this search for the trident and the importance of the trident. And yet, you want Zack Snyder's Justice League and the Trident's right freaking there. In his version of the story, it's not hard to find. In his version of the story, Arthur is standing next to the Trident at the time. <laughs> you know, so Aquaman like completely changed that entire portion and they cut Volko out of the Justice uh, out of the theatrical cut. Like it was it, it's very clear that Juan had different things in mind and he wanted to be able to spread his creative wings and put his fingerprints all over this project and be able to tell the story his way. All right? And that's an important thing to factor in here because Snyder's decisions were single-handedly affecting everything else in the franchise. And a big part of why the studio did what it did was to minimize the impact his decisions were having on the rest of what they wanted to do. Because right now, what happens? BVS didn't go the way they had hoped. And now that, that, and meanwhile, that was meant to be the launch pad for all these other characters in solo movies as the way the studio is looking at it. So when you see that, you go, we can't have all these characters tethered to one singular vision. We need to let, you know, these creators create. So ultimately they went in that direction. And now this, we're heading into the fruits of that labor. We're heading into the, the, the phase at DC's, you know, film wing where we're going to get to see different creators get to cut loose creatively on their particular characters and on the universes that they're in charge of without having to worry what anyone else is doing. You know, so it, it's it's a weird sort of double-edged sword, right? Because for some folks who were championing and fighting for Snyder these last few years, the big talk was, we want Warner Brothers to be filmmaker-driven again. We want to let them, uh, we, we want them to allow their creators and filmmakers to just do what they do and stay out of the way right? That's what y'all have been wanting. That's what I've been wanting. That's what a lot of fans have been saying. And now, essentially, we're at that point where Anne Sarnoff and the people running the Warner Brothers pictures end of things with DC, what they want to be able to do is hand off these characters to each of their different visionary filmmakers, and then to allow those filmmakers to build out their worlds, to make HBO Max spinoffs if they want, to do their own thing. It's almost like that old idea of like the worlds of DC that I used to talk about. That is still loosely in the DNA here where the worlds are really sort of surrounding each particular IP. And it's not so much that everything is interconnected, but there's interconnected projects around each thing. Okay? So that is still very much kind of in the fabric, in the DNA of where we're heading here. But it's important to note that we're here because Zack Snyder, in their eyes, had been given too much power. He had been given too much control and his decisions were not being embraced or loved by general audiences to the tune that they wanted it to. They saw that, oh, wait a minute, he's going for something more grown up. Like I said to Stephen Colbert last week, you know, he's not going for Happy Meals. He's going for Todd McFarlane collectibles. He's going after the adult geek. He's not going after the four quadrant audience that's going to give us all of this commercial success. And this is where the two sides really needed to come together. You know, this is where that communication breakdown I mentioned earlier on now, that's where that really comes into play. Because they had really given Zach the keys to the kingdom. They had, they, they had given him the power and the authority to cast 
and design each of these characters before bringing on any other filmmakers. Another, like a, a perfect example of the type of power Snyder had, the carte blanche power Snyder had been given before they took it all away, was Ezra Miller once famously shared the story that he never even auditioned for The Flash. He didn't know there was a Flash movie happening. He was vacationing in the tropics somewhere and his manager knows when he vacations he turns his phone off and he literally disconnects from the world for a time and then he gets a call to the resort he's staying at and they like forced him to come to the take the phone because it was a call from back home his manager needed to reach him and the manager was calling him to say hey Zack Snyder wants you to play the flash and Ezra was like, what is the Flash? And I don't think he meant, like, who is the Flash, you know. But the point was, he didn't even know about the project. But Snyder could just, from a boardroom, go, we want that guy to be the Flash. That's how Snyder had it for a bit. So they actually basically gave, like, a test drive to letting Snyder be the one in charge of everything. Okay? So that's the interesting other part of the story, too, that like I know we talk about when they stripped the power away, but we should also note that they did go with him for a time and give him the opportunity to shape and craft what this DC universe is going to look and feel like and set the tone that all other filmmakers, in theory, would have to build upon. Right? Because you don't make a movie called Dawn of Justice, which is meant to be the launch pad for six huge characters. You don't do that if you're planning on these things just kind of disappearing after a few minutes. You're letting him do this because you're expecting this to lead to all these like branch off solo franchises for each of these characters. So they let Snyder make all those calls. And then... When they saw the rough cut of BVS, when they saw, you know, the, the at a test screening and they started hearing the feedback that BVS was getting, that's when everything changed. That's when they said, okay, hang on a second. We can't let Zach call all the shots for all of DC on film because apparently we doubled down before we really found out what the general public really thinks of his work. You know, it's it's such a sort of like the back and forth, the inconsistency with regard to how much they trusted Snyder at that time is so mind-boggling. But as we look back now, it's important to note that the one of the main things that they had to do with Justice League in their eyes was to move away from a singular vision so that they could allow each of these characters to go play off in their own worlds independent of Snyder's choices. And what's sort of interesting and possibly exciting about that is that this means that we're not moving towards another sort of Marvel knockoff situation. Cause that's been a, that, that, that's been a, a fear certain DC fans have had for a while. Like, okay, well the Snyder approach, you know, they deemed that it didn't work. So now are we going to go and try to mimic what Marvel is doing more like specifically? But that's the thing. If you look, they're not, you know, James Gunn's the suicide squad just released a second trailer and this thing looks real unique and real like, like its own animal. And it's an R-rated picture. And it's clearly James Gunn cutting loose with his own, you know, black comedy, his own sense of dark humor. He's having a lot of fun with the Suicide Squad concept and the sort of gonzo, grown-up, extreme, edgy, weird elements of it. And... Clearly, they're not going for the four-quadrant Happy Meal movie with Suicide Squad. So that's kind of encouraging in a way. And it's what's also encouraging is that rather than move to a new architect, rather than bring in a new central figurehead to take over for Snyder, to basically be that Kevin Feige who, de who determines what everything is, rather than do that, because look, 
that doesn't always go the right way. A lot of people complain about how stagnant the Marvel movies are. They feel more like a TV show where the filmmakers don't really stand out. There's very little visionary directing work happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe end of things. Yes, there's lots of, you know, good to great movies mixed in there. But overall, you're not getting the sense that you're watching a visionary auteur take this material to its absolute artistic peak. You know that these movies are a package and you're, you're, you're following the steps on this pre-packaged journey that you're on leading to the next big team over movie, uh, team up movie, the next big crossover event. You know, the Marvel movies are kind of packaged that way. They're sort of safe. They're sort of corporate. They're sort of, you know, they're all in service of a grander vision. And Marvel is doing great with that formula. Let them keep doing that. DC's not doing that. DC's not getting that centralized force who's, who's going to make everyone do things his way. You know, they're going to allow all these filmmakers to do what they do. So, you know, as we look back on these last few years, it's important to note that a big part of the reason we got here is because initially they gave Snyder what they ended up thinking was way too much power. And they've spent the last several years moving away from the singular voice, the singular vision approach, and brought us more into this place where we are now, where each filmmaker, you know, James Gunn can do the Suicide Squad and then a Peacemaker show for HBO Max. Matt Reeves can do the Batman and do a Gotham PD show for HBO Max. All these different filmmakers have the option now to sort of do that, and they get to kind of do it within their own little pocket universes, as opposed to having one guy call all the shots. Oh, and do you, if you have concerns about canon, now we're going to start approaching things like everything is canon. You decide what part of DC's history or lore you want to make part of your thing, and you discard the rest, because now we have the multiverse. If you want to have a Gotham where Tim Burton has been Batman, I mean, we're Tim Burton, where Michael Keaton has been Batman all this time, then that you set your story in that earth. You want to do one where Ben Affleck is the Batman? Set one in that earth. You know, they're basically creating this landscape where the filmmakers can pick and choose what they want. You know, they, they liked seeing what the Arrowverse did with the Greg, you know, what, what Greg Berlanti did in his way of getting all these shows connected, yet still able to work on their own. And they kind of want to bring that into the cinematic lane here where they want all these things to connect if the filmmakers decide they want them to connect and they want to find a neat storyline way. That's why, like, you know, there's recent uh, quotes about The Flash, things that Andy Muschietti intends to do with that Flash movie. The Hollywood Reporter said something interesting about that. They said, DC is plotting its films and shows to share the same universe. But that the Flash movie will tackle the multiverse and is said to also lend clarity to the future of the Justice League. Okay, so this Flash movie is going to be pivotal to kind of bringing everything together, letting you know perhaps that you've seen one version of the Justice League, but there's other ones out there. And here's Barry who can kind of float between different worlds. This is the type of trippy cinematic world we're going to give you, folks. We're going to give you a cinematic world where Michael Keaton comes back as Batman and is in a Flash movie while we're introducing you to a a Colombian Supergirl, you know, like they're really throwing a lot of different things at the audience to kind of let you know that there is a very broad canvas to pull from here when it comes to us telling these stories about these characters, that it's not just one canon. It's not just one guy calling the shots all the time that you're going to get a broad, diverse, multifaceted DC universe. So I do feel like I, I wanted to circle back to that because last week I focused almost entirely on a lot of the tone deaf elements of that announcement and how even if you want to do that, 
even if even if this entire approach that I've just spent the last 20 some odd minutes inadvertently championing, even if you want to do this, that still doesn't explain why they won't do any more Snyderverse stuff. You know, so it still remains a weird sort of uh, tone deaf thing to say where we're going to say we want you to have a broad spectrum of voices to enjoy, except for this one that you keep tweeting us about. You know, that still remains just like, you know, a ridiculous thing. But I I guess I kind of want to share my vantage point now on all this you know, restore the Snyderverse stuff, since it really seems like Warner Brothers is not all that interested in it right now. And like, we're still a few weeks, if not a few months away from seeing whether or not enough business was generated and enough noise was made to warrant a JL two and three. You know, we're still a a bit away from being able to see if any of that is a realistic possibility, but Just based on what we know today, let's talk about that a little bit. Because, look, when we say restore the Snyderverse, there seems to be different people with different meanings for what that phrase even means. For some people, it means we want to bring back Zack Snyder as the architect again. Make all of DC be his playpen because we loved what he did with Zack Snyder's Justice League. You know, I keep he doesn't call it that, but we loved what Zack Snyder did with Zack Snyder's Justice League. It just sounds ridiculous to be saying it that way. But anyway, you know, we love that. We want to see, we, we want him to be fully in charge again. So sometimes that's what people mean. Then sometimes it means we want just to finish this arc. We want to see JL two and three. We want to finish this saga. He was trying to do a five part Superman saga of Man of Steel, BVS, and then JL one, two, and three. We want to finish that five part saga and then you go on and do whatever you want and we'll support you. All right. So that's another version of what restore the Snyderverse means. And then I think there's the one that we're most likely to get the third option for the restoration of the Snyderverse. And that is merely following up on something, following up on almost anything from there is a great way to service that audience. Cause right now that's what's going on. HBO max is trying to figure out how do we service this audience? We're still trying to figure out if this audience is as big as it appears on, so- on social media. We're trying to figure out if this audience will subscribe and not just subscribe, but stay. So the, the, they're keeping an eye on all of these little metrics, trying to figure out what do we do for these people. And there's lots of ways for them to service Snyder Cut fans that aren't strictly giving them JL 2 and 3. You know, if they were to announce tomorrow that Joe Manganello's Deathstroke origin movie that he was working on with Gareth Evans that he keeps going around saying it's the coolest freaking story and I'm I'm so upset that if I don't get to do this it's going to be such a wasted opportunity well guess what if they were to announce tomorrow that they were going to do like a six episode version of that movie a six episode Deathstroke crazy sort of origin story that stars Joe Manganiello and is set in that world, um, people would jump up and down and be excited for that. And they would feel like, oh, okay, so there is still more from this world to explore. And maybe if we watch this, they'll give us more. You know, it's there's a way for them to service the Snyder Cut audience without giving them the full Snyderverse. And that's what I think is most likely to happen here because I don't see the likelihood of them going through the logistical hurdles of getting Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot and Henry Cavill and Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller and who and Ray Fisher, of course, all back. I mean, Ray Fisher would probably do it in a heartbeat, right? But, you know, I don't see them going through the trouble of getting all these actors to sign new deals and to now come and make a pair of 200, 250 million dollar DC movies. I don't see them necessarily doing that. 
But I see Jason Kalar and the people over at Warner Max going, all right, but what can we do? What stuff that was brought up in this film, what's there that we can do on a low budget that's going to service that audience? And I think a Deathstroke thing is a perfect example of that because he's not a superpowered being. His story does not have to be an expensive one. You could do a gritty four to six episode Deathstroke miniseries pretty much on the cheap. So that's the thing. When it comes to this whole like restore the Snyderverse thing, I don't think it's an all or nothing proposition. I think there's a chance that that audience is going to be serviced in some way. And because of what happened with the Snyder Cut being released to begin with, I've learned better than to underestimate what that fan base can do and what that and and the power of what that fan base can do. And I'm telling you, if that fan base were to get a badass Joe Manganiello Deathstroke movie, they'd be very motivated to keep supporting HBO Max. And if let's say the churn rate remains high, where the people who signed up for Zack Snyder's Justice League stick around and then those people stick around long enough to make this Deathstroke thing fly. Then from there, now, if, 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 if Max has determined that this audience is worth investing in, then maybe for the next thing, they could go for a slightly higher budget. And that is where you can get a Ray Fisher cyborg movie or cyborg series or miniseries. And in a way, that would make it sort of like inadvertently beneficial that he is the only one of the Justice League members who is not currently involved with anything else. Because while, while all the other Justice Leaguers have seemingly sort of moved on into their own new grooves right now, Ray Fisher's Cyborg really kind of seems to be done for the time being. So, hey, if you want to reignite the Snyderverse and get that, that, that Snyderverse audience who came and... Listen, a lot of the early numbers are very high. The subscription numbers for HBO Max did jump at a much higher rate than initially anticipated. They've had to update forecasts. And even with them, like, not... You know, even with Warner Brothers not announcing how many downloads this thing has gotten. They've been sitting on this data for a while. It's amazing, by the way, that they have been. Because, like, there was just a Tina Turner documentary that came out, and, like, a day later, they're releasing how many times it was downloaded. But Zack Snyder's Justice League, they're not saying anything. It's so fascinating but uh and meanwhile we know that it's like the second biggest thing behind wonder woman 84 so we know that it got seen a lot and that it, it actually in certain metrics was performing better than ww84 because three days later the interest was higher than it had been for wonder woman 84 for Zack snyder's justice league so with what little we know, we know that they've seen some success. They've seen already some return on investment. So as they go and try to figure out where to go from here, I feel like that cyborg path is an interesting place for them to go because that is something that they could deliver without interfering with anything else the other Justice Leaguers are doing. You know, so... I feel like if you're in this whole restore the Snyderverse thing and you're looking to play the long game here, I think you got to start thinking less about Zack Snyder coming back and taking over again because that's, you know, that's not going to happen. You have to start thinking less about JL two and three because that's just unfortunately another thing that's like, that's a very tall ask. And even Snyder said like about Affleck that it was like a big deal to get him to agree to come back for just these reshoots because everyone kind of knows Ben is done with all this stuff. Okay. So we're not likely to get Zach back as the central architect. We're not likely back to get, we're not likely to get JL two and three, but you might have to be okay with getting stuff like Deathstroke and cyborg. And I don't know about you, I would be pretty satisfied with that at the end of the day. And I'd also be very satisfied if those of you who intend to campaign for the restoration of the Snyderverse did it the way that the big boss man himself said. Because over on Vero, Zack Snyder was asked by a fan, you know, do we, how do we keep the fight going? 
And all he said to do was watch the movie and tell your friends to watch the movie. That's all Snyder really wants anyone to do for now. He wants you guys to watch the movie, enjoy it, and spread that love with others. Not to attack other film executives, not to spam every social media post by Warner Brothers with that hashtag, not by threatening or coming after anyone who's not a huge fan of the Snyderverse. No. He said in no uncertain terms, Snyder said, how do we fight? By watching the movie and telling your friends to watch the movie. Encourage people to watch the movie. So you know what? That's a very novel idea because it's just about spreading your love, not amplifying your hate for something or, 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 or voicing your, your anger at things that happened in the past or trying to lash out at those we perceive to be the evil wrongdoers. He's not saying to do any of that. He's saying, I made this movie for you. Watch it, share it, love it. And if enough of you do that, you're going to get something. Because they're not going to ignore a passionate and engaged customer base. They might ignore a toxic hive of jackasses who make everyone look bad. So I hope that the toxic hive of jackasses uh, disappears into the background and that this new campaign for Restore the Snyderverse is built very much on the idea of championing the thing that you love, sharing it excitedly with others, and encouraging people to give something a shot. Because that's the interesting thing about this too. There were a lot of people who just didn't want to give Justice League a shot four years ago. It's one of the most shocking things to me. And I brought this up a few weeks back before the film came out. The fact that the interest level in Justice League had dropped to such harrowing levels before the film had come out. It's like now that there's some renewed interest in the concept because it's trending and it's buzzy and people are hearing about this thing. Now is a time to, if you really did love it, share it and encourage people to give it a chance. You know, because I'll never forget right here on this show about, I don't know, about three and a half years ago, I had a friend of mine here on the show. And some of you know him now. You knew him when he started doing the Play It Loudcast over on Revenge of the Fans back in the day with Brett and Jeremy. And now he's a voice actor and he's doing all these awesome inspirational things on his Twitter. He's been my best friend for like 22 years. My friend Rob Marrera. Rob loves Batman like nobody's business. We were always kind of like a world's finest sort of deal. That's why we were best friends. He was the Batman. I was the Superman. We were the yin to each other's yang. I was bright and optimistic, and he was dark and cynical and jaded. And what blows my mind about my friend Rob was that when Justice League came out, he didn't even go see it in theaters. Like, that's how little interest he had in the world that Zack had been setting up at that time. And meanwhile, he saw Zack Snyder's Justice League now and loved it. You know, it's amazing to think how things have played out. But where things were in 2017 is not where they are now. So it's an interesting time. People didn't care about Justice League back in 2017, for better or worse, the theatrical or otherwise. And now you got people who are seeing it, giving it a chance and enjoying it. So why don't we try to build on that, okay? If you loved the movie, tell people you loved it. Find lapsed fans who didn't give it a chance and encourage them to give this thing a chance. And that is the best way. That's the best chance you have of getting a Deathstroke or a Cyborg or any other continuation of Snyder's plans. And that comes from the man himself. So I think you should listen to Snyder when he says, just watch the movie and tell people to watch it too. And before I wrap things up this week, I kind of want to end on a, on a slightly more optimistic note, because while there's still definitely plenty of, you know, just uncertainty and tempered optimism for what could come of the Snyderverse in the present, We've been getting a lot of glimpses of what's to come in the future, and I, I feel like we need to focus on that a little more than on the negative for the time being. 
because there is a bunch of great stuff on the way. You know, just this week, you know, we got the the news on the release date of Black Adam that I mentioned. We got another look at James Gunn's Suicide Squad, which looks pretty darn great. Last week, we got confirmation that there was going to be a Zatanna series coming to HBO Max, which will be related to the Justice League dark thing that J.J. Abrams is producing. We also found out that there's going to be Batgirl coming to HBO Max. So, you know, we're hearing about all these different things that are coming on the way. And we're also hearing about old, long, gestating projects that are no longer on the way. Like just today, they announced that Ava DuVernay's New Gods and James Wan's The Trench, his spinoff from Aquaman, are no longer in development. And honestly, I know some people are reading a lot into that, and THR did some speculating about how one of the reasons that the new gods did not proceed was because of some idea of confusion, because Darkseid just showed up in Zack Snyder Justice like I don't buy any of that crap. Um, I think it's just, this is what happens in film development. Some ideas make it, and some don't. I've reported in the past about how at DC there there's oftentimes been almost like a like a battle royal uh, conceit when it comes to how they develop projects. We're like they'll know. Okay, I want to make a Wonder Woman movie, just for example, and I'm going to hire three different teams of writers to come up with their Wonder Woman movie, and then we're going to read those three versions and decide which one we want to proceed with, if at all. You know, to the point where like. Things get announced and you think they're coming, but it's really just part of a brainstorming session they're having behind the scenes. You know, so there's lots of projects over the years that just didn't quite come together the way they'd hoped. And they even leave the door open. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the studio views this all as Ava DuVernay still has this new God's concept. And if she ever wants to come and bring it back and develop it further and then they find a way to sort of like crack that story, I guess they would do it. Same thing with James Wan's The Trench. You know, they didn't slam the door on it ever happening, but they're saying for right now, there's really no need to make that, that really Aquaman 2 will serve as the grand expansion of Arthur's world. You don't need to add another spinoff movie just to show this one part of that world. You know, so I wouldn't read too much into that. I know that people are prone to get into conspiracy theories about why things got canceled, but really... At the end of the day, th th this is what happens. Some projects make it, some projects don't. We should be glad that Warner Brothers isn't just pushing forward on something that they're not sure about. You know, because in the past, a more short-sighted studio could be like, well, Ava DuVernay is a big name. New Gods, DC, you know, Marvel's about to make the Eternals. People are going to be in interested in all this cosmic stuff. Let's make this New Gods movie anyway. But apparently they didn't do it that way. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't think it was ready for prime time. So they're just not going to make it. I think that's, uh. I think that's a fair deal and it shows a little bit of discipline and a little bit of restraint. So I, for one, am not lamenting the loss of the trench or of new gods. I assume if Ava DuVernay wakes up one morning and has an amazing way to approach the concept and the stars align with now there's a place on the slate for it that w it, it would land there nicely for Warner Brothers, I'm sure they would green light it. It just doesn't sound like it fits into anything that they're currently working on or like it came together in a way that the studio found very exciting or promising. So look, Right now, in terms of projects on the way, you know, we got a Superman reboot from J.J. Abrams and Ta-Nehisi Coates. We got James Gunn's The Suicide Squad about to arrive right around the corner. We got Matt Reeves' The Batman arriving next year, along with its own spinoff on HBO Max and Gotham PD. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the way, not to mention a Flash movie that sounds like it's going to be really something quite special. So that's why, to me, if you're into the whole Snyderverse stuff, I understand this sense of like, 
Why won't you just continue this thing? Why are you making this so difficult? This could be great. I don't think we should be focusing on that because for better or worse, the ship has sort of sailed. Things have sort of moved on. And this is even what Zach himself was saying in interviews in the weeks and months leading to the release of this film, which is this is just an alternate look at what might have been four years ago. Warner Brothers Pictures has moved on. And this is kind of where we this is kind of where we are now. Okay, we just have to try and embrace that and continue to, you know, support the film. And if we do it that way, maybe more will come. But really, there's already really cool stuff on the way. And I hope we can all enjoy that united as a fan base, because these characters are bigger than one singular filmmaker. These characters deserve a, a, a diversity of talent to bring them to life. And I, for one, am kind of excited to see what a filmmaker-driven DC universe looks like. And lastly, look, I know this episode has been a little bit of a uh, reality check and wake-up call for all things Zack Snyder and the Snyderverse. But if you do want to hear me gush about the movie some more, I had one epic conversation on the Vigilante 1939 podcast. Me and those three gentlemen always have, me and the three Knicks always have an awesome time. This is the third time I've been on the show. And it's funny, the first time it was talking about our, our you know, the... Do we, what, what would we rather see? A Man of Steel 2 or the Snyder Cut of Justice League? Then the second time we spoke, it was okay, we're getting the Snyder Cut of Justice League. How do we feel about that? And now we finally got to close off our trilogy by discussing how we felt about the movie itself. And since that was more so just a conversation about the movie, it's a, it's a very sort of happy conversation because it's the, it's the three of us very much over the moon with the with the overall experience that Zack Snyder gave us a couple weeks ago. So if you want to hear a little more about you know of me doing backflips for this freaking movie, uh, check out this week's The Vigilante 1939 available in both audio and video uh, formats. But for now. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed this week's show. I hope you'll consider leaving me a positive review. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Adios.